You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. All right, good morning, Illini Life. It is so good to celebrate Easter together with you, even if it's through a camera and through a screen this morning. Happy Easter, He is risen. Amen. Yeah, I hope all of you uh, chimed in there. What a great day. The pinnacle of our faith today, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day. It's the high point of the year for Jesus followers, right? Like there is no greater point in our history than the resurrection as we reflect on what Jesus accomplished in Holy Week and rising from the dead. I'm glad to gather with you in spirit and to be with my church family. I hope you'll join us for lunch later today. I'm looking forward to seeing so many of you. Today we celebrate. Today we remember. Now, if you've been with us in past weeks, you know we've been building to this. It's it's been a long season of Lent as we've studied the Old Testament prophecies in Isaiah, the passages called the, the servant songs. We saw these prophecies that they foretold a coming servant of God one that would bring justice, that would perfectly obey, would bring hope, one that would suffer brutally in our place. We saw that these prophecies, that they are perfectly fulfilled in Jesus, in his life, ministry, death, and resurrection. Then last week, last week, J.D. shared with us as we reflected on, on Jesus entering into Jerusalem. We call the triumphant entry. Hosanna, they cried out. You know, J.D., he he shared with us this beautiful uh, picture of Jesus setting the trap for the evil one, right? The trap has been sprung, and today we celebrate. after, After the entry, there was the Last Supper, there was the upper room, Jesus was betrayed, he was arrested, he was crucified, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, as Isaiah prophesied in chapter 53. I hope you had a chance to join us on, uh, on Friday for our Good Friday service to reflect on, on all of those occurrences. The Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Crucifixion. Which all leads us to today, Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday. The tomb is empty. And we get to proclaim that. The empty tomb changed everything. Changed everything. The empty tomb, it's one of these moments in history where everything pivots. Everything's transformed. The reality, just for Jesus' followers, the reality of who he was became clear to his disciples, his followers, as Jesus appeared to them from the grave. He appeared and he opened scripture, showed it to them afresh. They began to understand Isaiah's prophecies in light of Jesus. This reality of of the resurrection, it emboldened this small group of Jewish followers to proclaim Messiah had come and his name is Jesus. That message, it spread to the ends of the earth just as Isaiah said it would. And it's transformed the world and it continues to do so. See, the resurrection... It's that pivotal moment, and it's a moment that demands a response. You can't remain neutral as you reflect on the, on the resurrection. 
It demands a response. You can remain indifferent, indifferent or ignore it, but that in itself is a response. That's a rejection of the resurrection, a rejection of the reality of who Jesus is. And we, we intuitively know this. We know that there are things in life, events, circumstances, things that have happened to us where, where we have to give a response. We can't just ignore them or remain indifferent. Let me, let me give you an example. Take it out of religious context and, and track with me here. This fall, in August, I received a letter from the IRS. This letter, it stated that my taxes were past due and that I owed over $4,000 plus a penalty for being behind in my taxes and that if I didn't take action, there would be legal ramifications. This was a legit letter from the IRS. This wasn't the spam calls you get that are saying that you, know, you need to give them your bank account and social security number. Uh, now this, this is a letter you do not want to receive, and I did not want to receive this letter. I was not happy when I read it. In fact, I was panicked. My heart raced, I began to sweat, I got worried, I dropped everything. I had to figure out what was going on. I knew it needed a response. You see, I could have been passive when I read this letter, right? I could have done nothing. I could have just filed it away, ignored it, pretended like I had never read it. But the IRS would have seen that as a response. They had already warned. There were potential outcomes of not, of being passive, of ignoring a letter. Legal consequences. Financial consequences. Now see, to, to give you some, some context, I had hired uh, an accountant last year to do my taxes for me because as a pastor, your tax situation is complicated. I'll, I can talk to you at lunch about that if you want. <laughs> um, so I had hired an accountant to do this. And she told me how much I owed and, and I paid that and I wrote a check and the IRS cashed that check. And so I reached out to my accountant and I said, hey, what's going on here? <laughs> here's this letter, here's the check that they cashed, what's going on? She assured me that there was an error on their end, that this letter was probably computer generated, that the IRS was behind because of the pandemic and they just hadn't updated my account yet. Which was a little bit of comfort, but still not enough for me. So despite her assurance and her professionalism, I spent half a day on hold with the IRS, waiting to talk to someone to make sure this was the case that I wasn't gonna get arrested, that I wasn't gonna get fined, that I didn't owe $4,000 or more to the IRS. Turns out it was exactly as she said. Computer generated, they were behind because of the pandemic and they had they'd cashed my, checks, my check months prior but hadn't updated my account. So it was good, I was good. The letter demanded a response, the stakes were high and I needed to make sure I was in the right, that there weren't going to be consequences that they threatened or that, were, that I didn't want to deal with. I had to make sure I was in the right. The resurrection is similar. It demands a response. The stakes are high. How you respond to the resurrection matters. Not responding to the resurrection or, or pretending it, it didn't happen, it, it's still a response and, and there are eternal consequences for that. When we encounter the accounts of the resurrection, when we encounter Easter Sunday, we can either respond by accepting 
the resurrection and the reality of the risen Lord. Or we can reject it. We can ignore it. Turn a blind eye. Those are the two options. There's no other options. The resurrection demands a response. Either obey or deny. And that's what we're going to see this morning. That's what I want us to focus in on. As we look at Matthew's gospel, his account of the resurrection, that's what we're going to clearly see. So let's, let's turn to the text. Matthew chapter 28 is where we're going to be at this morning. You can open to that if you have a Bible, or we'll put the words up on the screen for you to follow along as, as usual. And we're going to work through all of chapter 28. It's 20 verses, but it's action-packed. There's an earthquake and an angel. There's fear and joy, trembling and hope, worship and doubt. There's Jesus and the disciples. There's faithful women and lying guards. There's a lot going on. All 20 verses are just packed. So let's read. Let's, let's get into the passage. These first few verses, they set the setting. That's, that's the backdrop that all this is going to occur at. So let's read. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. So we read right away the setting. It's early in the morning on Sunday after the crucifixion. Crucifixion happens on Friday. The Sabbath is Saturday. It's early on sunrise on Sunday. Sunrise, which is an amazing pun for what has just happened. The sun has risen, right? I love that imagery. And we read that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, how would you like that? You're referred to as the other Mary, right? Uh, this is Mary, the mother of, of two of the disciples. Um, and these, they, they went to the tomb. Now these, these two Marys, these are some of the women that have been following Jesus. These are, they're from Galilee. They've been traveling with the disciples and, and the larger crowd that Jesus has attracted. And they've come all the way from Galilee to Jerusalem with him. And faithfully ministering to, alongside Jesus. Matthew tells us in the previous chapter of his gospel that they had been present at the cross. They were there to experience it. And they went to the tomb. They watched Jesus be buried, put in the tomb. They knew what Jesus had endured. They knew he was dead. They saw him laid to rest. They saw his body in the tomb. They saw the entrance sealed with a large stone and guards stationed outside. These women, they were the last followers of Jesus to see his body, to see it laid to rest. And now, after the Sabbath, they're headed back to the tomb to finish the burial customs, prepare the body for its eternal rest. Their plans, their plans quickly shift, don't they? Everything changed by the resurrection. Their plans go out the window. We're told that an angel of the Lord descended on the tomb and caused an earthquake. Right? There's been speculation. Maybe this is an aftershock from the quake that was felt on Friday at the cross. Maybe this is just the angel making his presence known, displaying his power. 
He is otherworldly. Whatever the geological source of this earthquake is, it announces a cataclysmic event has happened. The angel of the Lord, he descends on the tomb. There's a quake and the stone is rolled away. The entrance is laid open. Just as we saw in Isaiah's calling, with the doorposts shaking and the thresholds shaking at the voice of the angels, physical manifestation in our world when the divine breaks in is commonplace, and that's what's happening here again. The angel is coming to declare something magnificent has happened. So that's our setting. That's the backdrop that we enter into. Sunrise on Easter morning. There's an earthquake. The tomb is open. And an angel is perched atop the stone looking at them. Let's begin to unpack the two responses we're going to see. The rejection and the acceptance. The first response, the response of the guards. Rejection. Now recall from uh, early, you may recall from earlier in Matthew's gospel that the chief priests and the elders, the religious leaders, they were afraid the disciples would come and rob the tomb and tell people that Jesus had rose from the dead, right? They were afraid that the disciples were going to pull a fast one over on everyone and really boost Jesus' credibility and, and, and make him more popular than ever. And they did this, they believed this because they remembered that Jesus said he would raise in three days. The third day he would rise again. So they went and they begged Pilate to put guards outside the, t- the tomb so that no one could tamper with it. So that Pilate agreed and they stationed guards there. So that's the guards that are there. These are the Roman guards, official guards, uh, set to keep watch. Make sure no one tampers with the tomb. So let's read and see how they respond to what's just happened. Speaking of the angel, it says, His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. So the guards... Shaken by the earthquake, they're gripped with fear as they stand in the presence of the angel of the Lord. Gripped with fear at what they've just experienced. An angel has just descended out of the sky, shook the earth, and rolled the stone back, laying the tomb open. He now sits on the stone, reflecting the glory of God. Shining brightly. Appearances like lightning. And just as Moses' face radiated the glory of God after he'd been in the presence of God, this angel who has been in the presence of God radiates the glory of God. And just as Moses' face terrified the Israelites and he had to put a veil over his face, These guards are terrified of this angel. I think we all might be. It says says their fear gripped them. They became like dead men. They are paralyzed by their fear. They're, They're paralyzed. They're like dead men, but they are clearly still conscious. Because as we're going to see in a minute, they comprehend all that is going on and they go and tell the chief priests, the authorities, the religious leaders. 
Let's, let's take a look at that. Let's pick back up. We're going to skip to verse 11 now to see, continue to follow their response. While they were going, that's referring to the Marys, which we'll come back to. Behold, some of the guards went to the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while you were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So these guards, think about it. They had, they had a job to do. Guard the tomb. Make sure no one tampers with it, right? Make sure it stays sealed, that Jesus' body stays in it, and that no one messes with it. On all accounts, they have failed. Right? Their mission is not accomplished. So they're frozen by fear. And as they begin, as their, as their failure becomes apparent to them, and as their fear begins to subside, there's enough in them to now have their legs move and carry them back to Jerusalem. And, and, and they hightail it out of there. They go and tell the chief priest what has just happened. We've got to tell somebody. I can only imagine that conversation. And it, it makes me laugh whenever I think about it. You know, I, I imagine it, it went something like, uh, so... You know how you wanted us to guard this tomb and, and make sure the disciples didn't come and, and mess with the body? Well, the disciples didn't come and mess with the body. Yay us. We did it, right? Like, good job. Um, but see, now, there was this angel, and he came out of the sky. And then, like, the whole earth shook, and the tomb was open, and the body's not even in there anymore. So, like, we don't even know what happened. Uh, but the disciples didn't take his body. And so it's not really our fault, right? Like, you didn't say anything about angels. You didn't say anything about earthquakes. Seriously, how is this fair? It's not our fault. Uh, maybe that's because I live with a three-year-old. So <laughs> that's the way I envision this, this conversation going. I mean, this is crazy. Can you imagine trying to explain this? Uh, it's, it's, it's a miracle, right? How do you explain that? We don't. It's God. Well, the religious leaders... Right, they hear the story. And by this point, they are in pretty deep in their, uh, in their, in their resistance to Jesus. Right? They, they have worked to have him arrested and executed. They have petitioned Pilate to station a guard outside his tomb to make sure no one tampered with it. And so when they hear that their plans have been thwarted, that, that Jesus is no longer in the tomb, they double down. Just like they paid Judas to betray Jesus, they now pay the guards to betray their own conscience, their own memory. And the guards, they accept it. They accept the money, and they begin to sow lies. They begin to, to say that the disciples took the body while they were asleep, which, which just poses a lot of questions, right? How did they even know the disciples took the body if they were asleep, right? The story falls apart pretty quickly, I think. Anyways, the religious leaders, they are fearful that even more people will hear about Jesus and they will believe and they will start following him. This is what they were trying to put an end to, people following this, this Jesus. Their fears, they've come true. 
So they're trying to control it by paying off the guards and prevent the inevitable from happening, more people hearing and believing. The guards and the religious leaders, they all encounter the resurrection and they make a choice to deny it. To respond out of fear and try to control the situation, to explain it away or hide the truth with lies. They don't want to acknowledge what has just happened. They're controlled by their fear and so they deny the reality of the resurrection. Now, what have we seen in this, this encounter? There's, there's fear, there's awe, there's, there's trembling. All these can be expected as we encounter the divine, as we stand in the presence of God or as we experience him in our life. When we encounter God, fear is an emotion we can expect. It's normal. It happened with Isaiah. It happens with us. It happened with the guards. We'll see it happens with the Marys as well. Those that reject the reality of God at work, they go against God and they are paralyzed by that fear. They never move past it. Instead, they find a way to explain it away or, or they deny it or they cover it up or they lie to themselves and others. Come up with some alternative explanation. Ways in which we deny his reality and his presence. Ways we're consumed or we have or changing our major or giving up a job here to lead us away from God or to paralyze us. When we do so, we throw our lot in with the guards and the religious leaders. Just as they re rejected the resurrection, we can reject God. The guards and the religious leaders. Let's keep going. Let's look at the opposite response. And, and the disciples, as we'll see. So we'll pick back up. We'll go back to verse 5, because that's where we, we encounter how the Marys respond. Let's read. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has arisen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. Meet them in Galilee. Oh, I, I think we're back. Uh, maybe you've watched, been watching me awkwardly for a while. Um, the stream is resurrected, right? Uh, yeah, it's... Um, well, I'm not sure where uh, I'm not sure where we dropped off, but uh, we were talking. I was talking about the Mary's response, right? And so the angel addresses their fear. He assures them they have nothing to fear. Jesus is risen. His body's not here. Come and take a look, and then go and tell others. He is not dead. He is risen. So the angel he sends them to go tell this great news to the disciples. Jesus has risen from the dead, and he's going to meet them in Galilee. And so despite their fear, the women are filled with joy, and they run off to tell the others. And along the way, what happens? These women, they're the last ones to leave Jesus on Friday. Last ones to see him placed in the tomb. They become the first to see the risen Lord on Sunday. And how do they respond? They fall to the ground and they worship him. They worship him. All right, I think we're back now. Uh, again. <laughs> um, 
I, it's hard to know. Our team is doing a great job this morning. I hope you've made the jump to our new link. That, uh, we're ha having some trouble with the YouTube stream this morning. So uh, I, hope, I hope you're still with us. Uh, so we were reflecting on the Mary's response. And their fear, they're afraid, yet, yet the Lord speaks to them, the angel speaks to them, and, and Jesus speaks to them. And he sends them with a message. And despite their, their, their fear, they're filled with joy. And they run off to tell others this great message. Right? And, and along the way, they got to encounter Jesus. These, these women, the last to see Jesus laid in the tomb, the last of his disciples, got to be the first to see him risen. What a great gift. And what was their response as they saw him? They fall, they fall to his feet and they worship. They worship. See, even though they were fearful, they were filled with joy and they were moved to worship. See, even with a mix of emotions, they can obey, even in the presence of fear. They obey the instructions of the angel. They obey the instructions of, of the risen Jesus. They are running to tell others this great news. They go and they tell the disciples. And we know, we know for a fact that they obey because Matthew picks the story back up and tells us that the disciples are now in Galilee, 70 miles away. So, so they have been moved to make the journey to, back to Galilee to go and see Jesus, just as he instructed them. See, obedience and worship is a response to the resurrection, and it can take place even alongside fear in our hearts. Now let's read and let's see how the disciples respond because, because it's important too. Picking up in, in verse 16. This is some, some time later. They're in Galilee. They've made the 70-mile journey from Jerusalem. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So first off, stands out. We notice. It's the 11 disciples, right? Prior, it had been the 12. It's down from 12 because Judas, he's no longer, no longer with them, but no longer alive. Matthew shares of his end prior to the crucifixion. You can read that in the previous chapter. So the 11 disciples, they went to Galilee. They obeyed. They were motivated. They moved. They went back home. Galilee's home. This is where Jesus had instructed them to go. This is where they had been doing ministry. And they go and they encounter the risen Lord. They encounter Jesus and they worship. They worship, right? Just like the Marys did on Sunday in Jerusalem. So the disciples worship here in Galilee. The news of Jesus alive again, it's proving true. They're seeing with their own eyes what they have heard. It's true. It's really true. The reality of the resurrection, it moves them to worship. 
The news moves them to obey. The reality as they see it causes them to worship. And that's because the most natural thing for us to do, the most natural thing in the entire world for us to do when we encounter Jesus is to worship him. He's God. That's the reality. We are moved to worship when we encounter him. It's what we are made to do. It's what all creation longs to do and one day again will do when all things are made right when he comes again. And Jesus, he offers the disciples comfort and, and instructions. Right? His, his presence, his authority, he assures them. And then he gives them a commission. He says, continue doing the work we've been doing. Go make disciples. Keep doing what we've been doing. Teach all that I have taught you. You are the teacher, and I'll go and teach. Baptize new believers into the family of God in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And they did it. They did it. We know they did because we stand here today with that message. From a mountaintop in Galilee, 2,000 years later, it's still making an impact. We continue that work. We make disciples. We teach all that Jesus taught. And we baptize. For 2,000 years, that work continued on. The message spread across the, the world. And it will continue on until Jesus returns. We will proclaim his, his death and resurrection until he returns. And it's interesting to note here that Matthew, he almost goes out of his way to say that some of them doubted, though, right? These disciples, they all went to Galilee. They, they got the news and they all made the journey back home. They obeyed. And they went to the mountaintop they were supposed to. And there, they encounter him. They encounter Jesus, resurrected. Jesus before them. He was dead. They saw it. Now he's alive. And they worshipped. But, but some of them... I think this is fascinating because it shows the reality of humanity that we all know to be true. We all have experienced. We've experienced doubt in our own lives and, and we've seen it in others. I mean, if, if you haven't, I, I can assure you, you will. I know that's, that's true. That's, that's the reality of being a human. Doubt, it, it's, it's us wrestling in our humanity with the divine. It's our, it's our human nature trying to comprehend in our finite minds and our human limits, trying to comprehend the infinite and the limitless. It's trying to wrap our heads around Jesus raising from the dead when we thought dead was final, death was final. But doubt, it doesn't have to be the end. It doesn't have to be the end of our faith. It doesn't have to be the end of us. It doesn't have to stop our worship. Obedience and worship, it can take place even though doubt lingers in our midst, even though it lingers in our mind and our hearts. So just as the Marys and the disciples, they encounter the resurrected Jesus, they, they, when they did, they obeyed and they worshiped. But their hearts, see, they, they, they had fear still present. They had doubt still present in their midst. They respond despite those emotions. And they embraced the reality of the risen Lord. And they allowed it to transform them and motivate them. 
to carry a message that transformed the world and continues to do so. See, the resurrection, it didn't just raise Jesus to new life. It raised them to new life. It raises us to new life. It gives us a new hope, just as it gave them hope. And it renews mission for us, just as it did for them. Go and make disciples. So I wonder, on this Easter morning, Alana Life, those, those of you joining us, has the reality of the resurrection raised you to new life? Have you embraced the reality of the risen Lord, Jesus Christ? Have you embraced that reality? Have you allowed it to, to move you past your fear towards obedience and worship? If not, I hope you will. Today, now, do it. <laughs> the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is waiting to raise you to new life. Embrace that reality. Let it shake you from the paralysis of fear and move towards obedience and worship. Alana Life, this morning we have encountered the reality of the resurrection, the empty tomb. The body isn't here. Come see for yourself. How will you respond? How will you respond? There are only two choices, acceptance or rejection. Obedience or denial? Worship or lies? We can be like the Marys or we can be like the guards. Which will it be? I hope you'll embrace the risen Jesus and worship. I hope you'll embrace that reality. It doesn't have to be perfect, right? There can be questions, there can be fear, there can be doubt still in your heart. It's true of them. It's true of us. But will you respond in worship and obedience? Will you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all that Jesus had taught? I hope you will. Join with us. That's our goal. That's our belief, that's our mission to reach this campus, to make disciples, to baptize them, and teach all that Jesus taught. Align in life. Let's embrace the reality of the resurrection and go and make disciples. Will you pray with me?